Welcome to the Fear Soul Podcast. I'm Jordan Ray, the Soul Diva, and I'm on a mission for women to love themselves fiercely, live soulfully, transform their trauma and toxic experiences, to reclaim their worth and self-expression. I chat with thought leaders and inspirational women in free-flowing conversations, with a focus on loving yourself, soulful living, emotional well-being, creative expression, and body wisdom, intended to empower you to practice self-love and guide you to your authentic self-expression. Welcome back, Fear Souls. And this week I am joined by the awesome Joe Renshaw, who is a life coach for men. Joe, welcome. Hello, Jordan. Thank you very much for having me. It's fantastic to get you on and, and have a chat. So Life Coach for Men, it's quite a broad title. Share exactly what it is you do. Yeah, let's narrow it down a bit because there are many, many men, but I do specifically work with men who are feeling stressed and who want to make more money. So often the men that come to work with me, some of them are entrepreneurs and have their own businesses. And they come and tell me, Joe, my business is hemorrhaging money. It's really stressful. Help me. I know you know about money because I have a I've been through bankruptcy. So I've come out the other side of that. So that's that's something that I talk about in my marketing. And when we when we sort of dig into it, what we find is that business is okay. And this dramatic kind of overview of hemorrhaging money is I mean, because it's a dramatic word, isn't it? Hemorrhaging. Oh, well, I have the, the, the vision of literally hemorrhaging blood, just, yeah. just not yeah. being able to stop it. So, yeah. yeah. So what we do is we kind of go on a fact-finding mission and we find out really where the money's going. And what I've observed is that those clients who have that story are trying to plug all the gaps. They're trying to you know, cut, cut costs here and cut costs there and, and reduce and make themselves smaller. Now, this is something we hear talked about, about women doing a lot. We don't hear about it for men quite so much. And while they're, while they're essentially trying to make themselves smaller, they're not outselling. So some of the work I help them do helps them just put a stop to that and go out and sell their product. Because it's never a money going out problem, right? It's always a money coming in problem because money loves to flow. So we get the dynamic shifted the other way. So that's kind of what people come to me for. But yeah, under, underneath the sort of presenting problem, if you like, that people come to me is about is about money. But this stress, this underlying stress, that's, it's causing them. They've got to the point where, A, the stress is unbearable, and B... They just don't know what to do about it. And they feel quite ashamed about it because men have been socialized to be the breadwinners, be the strong ones, be the capable ones, be the ones who bring all the money in and have all the answers for that. And they just don't. So that compounded with, you know, telling themselves they're failing, they're not succeeding, that, you know, even though these men have very happy marriages, happy children, live in lovely homes, it's still not quite good enough. And that comes from the, the conditioning that they've been under. So what they're missing then is seeing just how amazing their life actually is. 
just how how inc- what incredible impact they've already made on the world. And this is never about sugarcoating anything and going, let's count our blessings, because, you know, if we're feeling stressed, counting your blessings is not something you want to go and do. But it's about returning our attention to the things that are working well, because what we give our attention to sort of grows. So the more we if we're giving all our attention to what's not working well, where our life is an absolute disaster, where all our friends are doing better than us and, you know, we're last in the pack, we'll see more of that. If we turn our attention to how well we've already done and what great impact we've made, then we'll see more of that. Yeah, that's some broad brush strokes of what I do and who I help. I'm just so taken by knowing the impact that that sense of not doing enough and especially when failing actually does become that real impact on income I mean obviously I've seen it further down the spectrum in my mental health work yeah and that real impact where they men in particular can't see a way out yeah and actually I was just taken by the men that come to you that that's a huge step for some men to actually come and say help I I need support yeah really big in fact one client came to me and he told me that his wife had said to him why don't you try counseling and he said I don't think counseling is what I need he said "I, I don't feel like I'm sick but I feel like I need my head sorting out so he understood that he wanted some guidance, but it was hard for him to make that step because there were connotations around what counseling and therapy meant. And so, yeah, it's that shame part that I think has stopped some men from seeking that help. So those men that do come and talk to me, it's a very courageous step for them to come and open up about, hey, these things are difficult. And you mentioned in there your own story. Mm-hmm. You mentioned your own experiences. So how did you get to coaching and coaching men in particular? All right. So how I got to coaching and how I got to coaching men in particular, it's one long journey, actually. So <laughs> when I was 22, I met a man who was 19 years older than me. And we started a relationship and we had a beautiful daughter who is now a lovely grown-up young woman, and he was a photographer, uh, very successful, incredible business. He'd had a great business in the 80s, but when I met him, business was on a downturn, and he was by then a chronic alcoholic, and he had no other tools to deal with his stress other than a bottle of wine, many bottles of wine some nights. I lived with him for three years. And after those three years, I left our family home and moved from Leicester down here to Brighton. But of course, that relationship didn't end because we had a daughter that we were communicating over. And until she was about 16, it was very fraught because he never stopped drinking. And so when you're dealing with someone that is just living from hangover to hangover, their version of reality is very, very different from your own. So communication was extremely difficult. And what I understand um, his addiction to be now was a real sort of embodiment of lack for him. So money was tight. It was tighter than it had been for him in the 80s. 
And so those stories I was talking about earlier, he had all those stories. He'd been through bankruptcy. In fact, I think he might have been through a couple. So there was a sort of bravado about it in that industry, but there was also shame. And as a result of that, my my a story I developed about how poor I was came out of that. So my story was I'd been in this terrible relationship. I'm making I'm making air quotes here. And he wasn't able to support me financially after I left him. So there was always a fight for money. And of course, then there was the trope of the single mum having um, housing benefits and council tax benefits as it was then, income support. And again, while while money was tight, I always had a roof over my head and always had food on the table. My daughter never went without. She, We by no means had a luxurious life, but she was well cared for and everything she everything she needed she had on a physical practical level so this sort of led to my bankruptcy and by the time i went bankrupt in 2013 i had had help from local government national government i'd had a job so i had made money myself my mum and dad had helped me and i thought if all this help if I've had all this help and I've still gone bankrupt, then surely there has to be another way. And I think the only other way available to me is to think differently about money. Because I, I hear people like Abraham Hicks and I'd seen that film, The Secret. So I I knew a bit about the law of attraction and, and I was getting to grips with this idea that what we think about comes about and we create our own reality and that those ideas interested me. And I thought, well, you know, everything I've done hasn't worked. Let's see if thinking differently works. I've got nothing else to lose. The worst has already happened. I've gone bankrupt. So in the UK, when you're bankrupt, you have six years on the insolvency register. And during that time, you can't, you're not allowed to have any credit or an overdraft. So I had to start making exactly enough money to pay the rent and bills every month and by then my daughter I think she just left college so she was beginning to work so any child related benefits that we'd had as a family went and I think I lost about 600 pounds over overnight because there was a portion for her as a school child um, for my rent and there was a portion for my income so she went to work and I had to go to work and she was amazing. She started paying rent as soon as she was working. I think she paid £25 a week. I wanted her to have that um, discipline, to learn that discipline straight away, that there's a bill coming, there's a bill coming. And at that time, I was a freelance producer in photography. I just graduated from a degree at the University of Brighton in photography. So jobs started coming in. As I started turning my attention to more and more to how am I going to make money? I need to make money. <laughs> rather than how am I going to shrink down so I found over those few years money it it just magically always seemed to be enough I never went without I was able to live without an overdraft without credit cards and I had this date on my diary of I think it was about the 11th of December 2019 when I would come off the insolvency register and that was a date I was aiming for because I wanted by then to feel so secure in my ability to manage my money well because the story had always been Joe's so bad with money 
the next day when credit was available to me suddenly because your your uh, credit record goes back to what it was when you were 18 years old when you come off the insolvency register so you have this brand new fresh virgin credit and I did not want to go to December the 12th and be like right let's get a credit card let's build up those debts again I wanted to feel really secure in myself and a few days after that date, I was walking to, I then worked for Lush as a retail assistant. And I walked down the stairs in my building, picked up a Christmas card on my way to a Christmas shift in Lush and opened it as, as I was crossing the road here. And inside was a check for £50,000. And I thought, oh my God, I've done it. And the wow. check was dated the day after I came off the insolvency register. So... I knew then that everything I'd done had worked. So wow. it was sort of from that point on that then I had to integrate all that learning and take on the identity of someone who did know how to make and have and steward a lot of money. So just going back to men, because this, this is still pertinent, I started coaching, of course, then we came into 2020 and yeah. the whole world changed, everything changed. So I was put on furlough from my job at Lush and started my business in March 2020 and business was going really well I had kind of half men half women clients and I was doing general life coaching and then in November 2021 last year my daughter's father passed away so my work this year has been very much recovering from that grieving for that going through that process of stewarding him and his life through to the other side and really seeing him and his struggles in a different way and where we were at peace when he died we had been for a few years which mm. I'm so grateful for but what seemed so desperate and terrible to me in my young 20s I now have such a different understanding that he was actually in a great deal of pain and he had nowhere to go for it other than other than the bottle and so it feels really important to me that if I can help even one man not have as much pain as he did, then then his life won't have been in vain. That's just, I mean, there's so many wow moments in that story. <laughs> I think I'm sat here with goosebumps. I think all of that is just so pertinent. I know that I specialise in coaching women, but I also have a, a real interest in veterans, you know, coming from oh, a forces yeah. family. And again, so many of them come from that place of, shame mm -hmm. of man up mm -hmm. deal with it yeah finding as you've said trying to find the release or the numbness or whatever it is they're looking for whether it's the yeah. bottle or the drugs or and just being in that cycle because once you're in it getting out of it is not just just takes double the effort it takes about four times the effort absolutely yeah because of getting releasing the addiction yeah and then working through what was there originally because that hasn't gone anywhere yeah yeah and it's devastating effects for not just the person with the addiction and not just the man who's dealing with his own issues, but yeah. for the people around him as well. Absolutely. That is with so much of what we do, I think, as coaches, whether there is an, an addiction there or not. Mm -hmm. If that person is struggling, mm -hmm. however much pain they're in or emotional st stress or distress, the knock-on effects for everybody so once that starts to change it's that ripple effect yeah and the, totally. the knock-ons one of those addictions I see that is it's sort of glorified in our culture is overwork 
And a lot of the men that come and talk to me have come from the kind of background where they were trained to work hard. Probably the same with veterans as well. They're trained to work hard. I know this through my bankruptcy. I know that it wasn't doing things and working hard that was solving my problems. I know I know now it was thinking about things differently. So for these men I work with, one of the things we do is decondition that idea that they have to work hard to make more money. And it's at the expense of their physical and emotional well-being. I don't know if it's also like women, but quite often the worth is connected to the working hard as well. Actually, I was reflecting on this the other day, that coming from local authority, you were always seen as more valuable, I guess. Obviously, if you got your work done, but getting the work done quite often meant working weekends, quite often actually meant working 60-hour weeks, putting Mm -hmm. a lot of yourself into it, which is great for the families and the young people you're working with. I mean, absolutely, they deserve all of that, Mm -hmm. but not so great for the worker and the person yeah but actually if you were behind and you weren't putting the extra effort and you weren't putting the hours in you weren't seen as valuable oh interesting yeah so I was just wondering if there was a a crossover as well into their value that if they weren't working as hard yeah totally well I I interviewed one man to bring into my practice recently and he was working from eight o'clock in the morning till midnight every night and taking two half hour breaks and he told me that he was doing this in part because he felt that there was nothing he could do to prove himself to his boss like nothing he ever did was good enough and so he was working harder and more to show his boss how valuable he was but it actually wasn't having an impact at all and he said to me I have to keep doing this and it it might be it might be for another 18 years when I retire. And that really broke my heart that he was considering or he was willing to do that to collect his retirement. Yeah. And if men for any men listening and and any women listening who see that in men around them, you know, that's your your connection with your children, your connection with your partner, your connection with your physical well-being. It's not going to wait for 20 years. It needs you now. Joe. just stepping back, a couple of stories came up as mm. you were talking before. So one of them that actually I, I should have said at the beginning and completely forgot. Yeah. Uh, you talked about November last year, but just before, about a month before that, in the October yeah. 21, is when you and I actually connected. Yeah. <laughs> randomly in some sense, although I don't yeah. believe in random, Yeah. Um, that we were both on a weekend call with Susan Hyatt coach and her finished strong weekend and I realized there was this other English person actually on the zoom because most of the other women were America and Canada yeah and looked up your Instagram and and my sense was I recognize those beach huts (laughs) (laughs) where are you yeah (laughs) yeah and then meeting for coffee because we realized we were about 10 minutes down the road from each other yeah it's one of the I know COVID has had some enormous and not so beneficial effects for so many people but one of the amazing things was that Zoom kind of made the world smaller in a way and was able to to put us in places and spaces 
with people we might never have come into contact with. So Susan Hyatt, this coach in the States who you and I have both followed for some time, extended her her event to have a virtual space as well. So she had some by then, I think there were some people back in person and some people virtually. So for me, it was really fun to find you literally just down the road and have someone else that I can sit over coffee with and talk about. Geek out over coaching. <laughs> I love that. Yes, we definitely geek out over coaching. Yeah. <laughs> well, and actually off the, the back of that, the last time we geeked out was less about coaching and more about, I still want to hear so much more about this, your amazing trip that you had wanted to do for a long time. And I know you shared with your beautiful daughter, or at least part of it. Yeah. So tell us about your experience. This is another shared passion that you and I have for New York. Yeah, Definitely, yes. (laughs) So (laughs) I, at the end of September, had two weeks in New York. It was a trip that had been planned for a long time. Um, my daughter turned 25 a week after her father died. And I had given her a trip to New York for her 25th birthday. And we obviously had to postpone that trip. And then we postponed it again because of Omicron. And then the year kind of went by. And I work with another coach in the States. And she suddenly announced she was putting on a three-day event in New York. So I said to my daughter, let's combine the two things let's go I'll go and do this three-day event and then we'll have your your birthday trip as well and part of the purpose also was to honor her dad who made a lot of work there in the 90s so he had he was commissioned um, by Saatchi to make all sorts of pieces and he New York was his favorite place on earth and he said to me many times I'll take you there one day and my daughter and I felt like he got us there eventually So one of the first things we did when she arrived was to go to places that he made work and see those images that we'd known so well for the last 25 years, see the places where he stood and and stand in those spots. So that was very beautiful and very moving. And for me to have time with her there was just an absolute delight. So we we did... Her dad really educated her very well about art and he introduced her to all that. I'm just sitting here looking at his book collection in my study. So he introduced her to all the great painters like Cezanne, Picasso, Van Gogh and all her life she'd wanted to see Starry Night. And we went to see that in the MoMA and again, a very beautiful moment. But when we went to the Met, it was like, just an abundance of riches we would turn a corner and there's Van Gogh and then there's Cezanne and there's Monet and Degas so it was lovely to spend time walking through Central Park soaking up art and hanging out together but what what an exciting city absolutely there is just so much going on well I was going to say you got to see the whole the whole variety available and the one thing about New York actually given we've been talking about making money and you know from bankruptcy to abundant I know our cities in in the UK have it but there is something about New York where it's almost so much more vivid yeah that you literally see every bit of that spectrum totally totally I mean first of all to to step off an airplane and walk into New York which is kind of one of the world centers of finance less than 10 years after going bankrupt blows my mind. I could never have imagined 10 years ago that I would get to 
the USA. And I've I've wanted to go to the States for all of my life. So that part, just seeing myself in that new sort of self-concept, if you like, that here I am, as the line says in the Hamilton show, in the greatest city on the on earth. Yeah. And it really felt like that. It really felt like New York knows itself well. It knows it is the greatest city on the earth. It knows it has so much to offer. It has, as you say, the full spectrum of, you know, poverty to utter riches. What I loved was that it seems to, it values itself. So it's it's clean, it's well cared for, it's well organized. You can access services really easily. It was intense. We live in a seaside town, which is busy, but much calmer. So it was intense to be there for two weeks. So getting into Central Park to have downtime was really necessary, but that's available. You know, we didn't have to be here. You know, it's another kind of connection to talking about those men that are working so hard all the time. We didn't have to be at Times Square all the time. We could get into more peaceful places and have that downtime. And there's a recharge from being around the noise and the lights and the excitement and the, that visceral kind of oh energy. Watching the first night of the Met Opera broadcast live in Times Square was just thrilling. It's just things you hear about in movies. So we felt like we were in a movie. <laughs> and you talking about those 10 years in your journey reminded me that the first time I went to New York, so I was 19, I'd been out doing camp in America. I was literally living on $10 a day because that's <laughs> all I had left. Oh, wow. So anything that I did had to be cheap or worked out mm -hmm. so we're staying in a hostel around the corner there was somewhere you could get ham and eggs or whatever it might have been for yeah. a few dollars yeah. so that was brunch and then it was it was spending a day in Central Park or going to one of the museums because that didn't cost anything mm -hmm. sitting at the Lincoln Centre and watching this fabulous dance show yeah we went clubbing a couple of times but the hostel staff very kindly chose to go without their lunch and actually paid for us to get in Aww. to the clubs. Aww. So my first experience of New York was done literally on that shoestring. Wow. wow. And yes, I had all these opportunities. Yeah. And then my most recent experience was booking two or three days before I flew out, mm -hmm. running away for New Year because uh. <laughs> things had gone wrong over Christmas, turning left on the airplane when I got on board for the first time ever, mm. booking a hotel in Times Square, as you said, being there for New Year. Oh, wow. Paying, doing top of the rock, mm. jumping on and off the buses, getting down and doing the few things that I hadn't done before. And absolutely having that complete not necessarily opposite experience because I still went into Central Park and walked mm -hmm. and did those things but I guess without having to think so much about the money the first time was very much yeah. if I buy this it means I can't do that right whereas this time was very much I want to do it here you go just put you know oh, nice. there's the card yeah, yeah. so it, it was very interesting seeing both sides and the experience of both sides and I think that that's that's still very true and for the every other area of our life is that we don't need money to have an amazing rich experience so those museums and art galleries that you can go into for, to for free you know if your priority is to eat for the day which mine usually is and if money's no object if you have tons and tons of it no problem you can get all the taxis and pay for all the events and all the food 
but don't not go and do something because you don't think you have the money because there's always a way that you can enjoy a rich life without having money and that was one of the things that really helped me in my transition from bankruptcy to having money I learned to see how rich and wealthy my life already was I mean just by living by the sea I grew up in the Midlands to go to the seaside was a family holiday and it was a treat now as a grown-up to live by the sea and walk along the seafront every day I mean that feels like where are the adults do they know this is going on (laughs) and I don't need any money to do that no and my I mean it was more than a treat my luxurious day off when I was employed was buying a coffee taking my book or my journal and sitting on the seafront on a really nice sunny day Mm. on a weekday when that sense of I should be at work Mm -hmm. but I've got a day off and just sitting there okay cost me a coffee even if I didn't have that money you could have made it at home and taken it with you and I love that you talked about you know living that rich life without the money and I think it's the other way as well which is taking in everything it's going back exactly to what you said at the beginning of how you work with the men of seeing what you do have of appreciating those experiences yeah even if you do have the money to drop on everything actually that day you walk along the seafront seeing how special that is Mm -hmm. and really taking all of that in not Mm -hmm. just thinking on to the next thing or thinking oh well if I'd spent more or whatever those thoughts might be yeah yeah and moving on then from that as well I think what happens and certainly what happened for me is that as I got secure in my in my rich life even though I didn't have a huge amount of money I just had enough each month it was when I didn't need it anymore that more came I didn't have I wasn't having to chase it I'd already created that sort of abundance and sufficiency for myself and that's what I see in my clients as well. When they stop hoarding what they've got or or shrinking and holding themselves back, when they create sufficiency for themselves through a practice of rest and appreciation and speaking kindly to themselves, when they build this abundant relationship for themselves, then money starts to flow much more easily. I'm glad you dropped rest in there because I think when I do my work I talk quite often about those feminine energies and masculine energies and it's a very obviously masculine energy to hustle Mm -hmm. work harder keep going Mm -hmm. all of those guys that don't need the rest you know Mm -hmm. it's like well I'll do this and then I'll go to the gym and it's fine I can cope on five hours yeah and actually how much more we all get done with that rest that time Mm -hmm. out is more than acceptable yeah Yeah. And makes us more productive later. I know there is so much more that that you and I can talk about, but you've mentioned how you work with men and what that work is. Mm -hmm. How can people get in touch with you if they would like more information? They can. They can come and find me on LinkedIn. So it's linkedin.com forward slash Joe Renshaw or on Instagram. And it's Instagram.com Joe underscore Renshaw. We will get your links dropped into the show notes. Fab. Thank you. And I have a weekly newsletter that I send out to my list where I share a story about something that I've done in my life that's helped me or I share a story from my client that's helped them. And on my website, I also have a, a sort of hidden page for subscribers that's got 
a tool called a life audit where they can where they can take themselves to an exercise to see where they're at and figure out where they'd like to go and there are some audio classes on there of, of master classes I've taught in the past so yeah that's how they can get hold of me we have done a lot of talking but is there anything else that you would like to share or anything burning you feel that you would wanted to say yeah what I would like to share is this month in the month of November I've got a goal to invite 100 men to come and have a taster session a life coaching taster session with me and I'm going to put a link to that on my on Instagram there's uh, something called a link tree which has various links and they'll find it on there so it's a 60 minute session to come and find out so many men have never tried life coaching before and I would like to share that with them so they can find out what what is it that goes on in a life coaching session a hundred that is a lot of space and a lot of experiences yeah yeah and I'm excited to meet lots of people as well and I guess I would just add on to that that for any women listening you know if they've got any men in their lives whether that be partners brothers parents yeah yeah. to pass this over and yes please open those opportunities up yeah and also just to consider if if the men in your life are being stressed it's not because they're dicks it's because they have stuff going on and you know we all know sometimes men are dicks and sometimes women are dicks as well but there's always something else going on and I think that in women's circles we often talk about patriarchy and how damaging it is to women and society it damages men just as much and patriarchy isn't only upheld by men it's a system that lives within human beings it's just that it might appear more visible in men yeah that would be my plea if you like to women that it's the difficulties in the world is not all the fault of men and as you were talking i was reminded actually of another colleague when she was struggling in her relationship with her husband and exactly the same as the work that I do with women men have the same patterns men Mm -hmm. have the same upbringing in childhood Mm -hmm. they have the same patterns to break so if they've learned that work hard not only does it come from the patriarchal society but actually it comes from family lines it comes from ancestral and it's understanding and recognizing this is so much bigger than one person so just as women need to break their own cycles and sometimes their ancestral lines yeah it's the same with men as well totally yeah And, and having that compassion and having that understanding that if this is the way they were brought up Mm-hmm. they've got a lot to relearn yeah to be able to to be in a different space yeah yeah it's seeing it's seeing things through different lenses joe thank you so much thank you so much for having me on jordan it's been really great to talk to you and thank you all for listening thank you for joining me for yet another fierce soul conversation to find out more about me and my work please see the links in the show notes And don't forget to like, share and subscribe. I look forward to you joining me next time.